Before you lead your team, you need to take a close look at how you're leading yourself. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm delighted to welcome back Josh Burkholz. Josh is the CEO of BWF, a national fundraising consulting firm headquartered in Minnesota. And he also chairs the board of the Giving USA Foundation, uh, the Giving Institute, which publishes Giving USA each year through the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, where we are located uh, here at the Fundraising School. Josh, great to have you back with us. Hey, it's really good to be here. Thanks, Bill. I'm excited to oh, be here. Along with his colleague, Amy Lampy, Josh is the co-author of Benefactors, Why Some Fundraisers Always Succeed. And there's a wonderful chapter on leadership. And I had a chance to see Josh and Amy present on this at a recent AFP national conference. Uh, and Josh, first of all, you know, kind of talk uh, big picture about the book, uh, and then we you know, can get more specific talking about this chapter. Happy what led you to write this book? Oh, thank you, Bill. I, it was really a long collaboration with uh, Amy Lampy, who we've worked together. We did several projects together. We even had a cover story in the Chronicle Philanthropy of some unique innovation we did in arts fundraising uh, back in 2016. And we thought, you know, we should write a book together. And we proceeded to do so. But our focus was not on technology or data science in the arts. It was really more practical. What does a fundraiser really need? The world has changed. We've had distributed business models. There's all this advent of data. There's digital experience. And for some fundraisers, that can actually seem a little scary. Do I have to know AI, be able to plot something into ChatGPT to be a fundraiser? And you really don't. What we wanted to focus on is how these are all for our benefit, that we've now developed an ecosystem of fundraising. And being a fantastic fundraiser is acknowledging that ecosystem, but also thriving within it. So whether it's a brand new fundraiser that's just getting started, or someone who's very seasoned and wants to uh, kind of uh, polish their craft a little bit, or someone who came from another industry moving into fundraising, they know business well and other things, but maybe not fundraising specifically. We thought we wanted a really practical, um, readable uh, book that Honestly, we were trying to hope that it kind of felt like you're talking to a mentor. Just, hey, help me out here. <laughs> and not not something that's super science-y, even though it's really based in research, I can't help it. I love data. So does Amy. Uh, but I think it's a really practical book for the readers. And that definitely came across in your presentation at the National AFP Conference that I was so fortunate to be able to observe you in. Again, the title of the book, Benefactors, Why Some Fundraisers Always Succeed. And one of the reasons they do is leadership. And Josh, just to start out, some fundraisers might say, well, well, wait a minute, I'm not a leader. I report to the chief development officer, or I'm the CDO, and I, I report to the CEO, or I have to report to the board of directors. Fundraisers might not even see themselves as leaders. Why is there a chapter of, on leadership in this book? Yeah, well, certainly leadership is bigger than roles, and all of us can be leaders. Really, at its core, leadership is creating a culture where others can succeed. So even as you're focusing on your own success, actually, the collaboration is one of the best uh, leadership skill sets. And, you know, that goes back to the National Bureau of Economic Research did this study on the Peter Principle, the old concept that uh, managers are uh, promoted to their highest level of incompetence. And some people joke about that, you know, the top fundraisers suddenly become you know, hoisted into this management position, and they're not necessarily prepared to be leaders. And so they were studying. And sure enough, there's a lot of bias that people that succeed in their previous job get promoted. And they're studying the National Bureau of Economic Research was around sales. But those that moved up there based on having sales success actually saw the teams that they're now managing their production go down. 
And they were like, maybe there's some truth to this. So they tried to discover what were the factors that actually led to production going up. And what they found the top prediction was when someone was an individual practitioner, they readily shared credit. They were very collaborative. They defined this collaborative group. When they became managers, the teams actually increased. So this set us on a journey of what are those character traits that really lead someone to being a great leader. And we fell into lots of different research. One that I'd like to highlight is a book by Fred Keel named Return on Character. I was very close to it. I actually did the number crunching for Fred Keel on this book. And we actually researched CEOs across industries, uh, predominantly the Fortune 500. And we studied their character habits. We had employees say, do you ever see your leader do this? Do you ever see your leader do that, et cetera? And we ended up ranking them on a curve based only on character traits, the universal character traits being forgiveness, responsibility, integrity, and compassion, and controlling only for character when we measured against the return on assets to their company's bottom lines, we found the top half based only on character at four times the return on assets, with the top quartile being up to nine times. We had data that showed actually being a good person was good for business. Uh, And I was very excited about this. Harvard Business uh, School published this book, and I'm like, I want to see how that applies to fundraising. So one aspect of this leadership chapter was to really dig into those universal character traits. Um, And sure enough, I think it's a really nice roadmap for being a fantastic leader, regardless of role in the organization. And Josh, can you give us the title of the Keel book again, please? It was Return on Character by Fred Keel. Return on Character. And so when you talk about character, you know, that's a can be a big macro vague word for a lot of folks. It can have different meanings for different people. Uh, how, do, how do you and Fred unpack that? And how do you and Amy apply that here to fundraising? Yeah. I, I, first of all, how we unpacked it is we tried to look holistically because for um, readers that were across not just nonprofits, but in all, um, character and leadership aren't the only success factors. In, in Probably in reality, there's three main components. There's one, there's the business model, how you do business, how you staff, how you, like, if you're in fundraising, how you assign prospects, are you more of a major gift shop, more of a mass shop? That's a business model consideration, whether that makes sense for your constituency. Second is the might be called economic indicators, macro or microeconomic factors. So if you're in the oil business and oil's trading at a very low price, you're probably not doing so well, but it's not because you have bad business model or bad character necessarily, but there's economic conditions. But there was one piece that was always called the leadership factor. And no one had really quantified. Uh, Some would say it was as much as 20 to 30% of success is because of leadership factor. So we tried to quantify that and and we thought we did. And so through unpacking that, there was unintended discoveries. Uh, For one, we were looking at other factors like workforce engagement, what causes your workforce to be more engaged. And certainly this was a top driver, but innovation, for example, a lot of times people want innovation. Innovation might be the new creative, create a new app in Silicon Valley, or it might be just looking at something we do every day and doing a little bit better than we did before. And we found that the most innovative workplaces had leaders that had the highest character scores on the forgiveness uh, quotient, meaning forgiveness, and, and perhaps it's intuitive, but forgiveness led to innovation. And it does make sense. In Silicon Valley, you've heard the expression, fail well. Uh, we want to be able to fail well so we can learn from that. But also, there's some aspect as a leader, if your employee knows that if they mess up, I'm still good, 
they're more likely to take risks that lead towards innovation, to make those connections with other people that might not be natural connections, to find that diversity of opinion and perspective that leads to the new. So that forgiveness was just one element, but from a larger picture of what aspects of leadership cause the workforce to be more engaged, but also cause us to produce more as an organization. And in fundraising, we're definitely about production. You know, Josh, that's a word forgiveness that people might not always associate with the workplace. They might think, oh, I go to a moral or ethical training, and maybe I have a religious faith that teaches that or some other kind of an ethical template that I utilize that forgiveness is part of that. Um, how does this apply to the workplace? You know, you work with organizations across the country. Do you see this very common amongst the leaders that you work with? Is it kind of a foreign concept in the professional setting? How do you see this importance of having forgiveness as part of the character of the leader in a way to inspire more innovation? How do you see that adapting in the professional workplace? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a solid question. I think many are adapting because they've had to. Uh, it's you know <laughs> perhaps cliche to say the workplace has changed in the last few years, but the workplace has changed in the last few years, and our. Um, in our profession and fundraising, we've always had sort of what I'd call a talent gap. We've not had enough people for the jobs that are out there. And then we hit this disruption where it drops even more so. Some would say it's recovered back to pre-pandemic uh, levels, but we've always had this need to nurture the wonderful talent in fundraising to keep them have a great experience. And we've had to relook at what the workplace means. It used to be we could manage by how many hours you put in, manage the time. But with the gig economy and people choosing significance over just their success or career aspirations, I want to do something that's meaningful. It's not enough to just put the hours in. So we've had to start looking at different ways to um, uh, measure for the work that's done, not how the work is being done per se, that you've accomplished the goals. And when we're an accomplishment basis, we've seen this new growth in literature, probably the Amy Edmondson book on the fearless organization uh, was one that really tackled that concept of psychological safety. I know there's a researcher in the UK, Sarah Gledhill, who's applying psychological safety to fundraising specifically, but looking at this environment, uh, psychological safety being that this is a safe environment to be my true self, to be my authentic self, and we know that one of the top drivers of production is actually authenticity. And we've seen that. We've interviewed donors and asked them, do you think this fundraiser would give the same gift if they had your resources? Sometimes they would say yes, sometimes they would say no. But when we looked at those that they said yes about and then compared it to their fundraising production, they were raising four to five times more money than anybody else. No other factor than authentically they would give the same. And it makes sense. It would lead to boldness. Um, they would, why wouldn't I ask for a million dollars? I would give a million if I had it. Uh, so there's a boldness and solicitation. There's a zeal. There's an excitement. After the donor gives the gift, there's a donor experience that this was what the best thing I ever did. Look at how happy this other person is too. That authenticity carries through. And some aspect of leadership is, are we exposing our team to the mission so that they can see how wonderful this place is? Can we nurture that authenticity among our employees so that they can be bold in their asking? Do we have, as I mentioned from the Kiel research, the forgiving environment so they're willing to try new things? And ultimately, is this a place where there's true inclusion? No matter my perspective, my background, I feel like I belong here. Belonging is a new word in the workplace. We didn't use nearly enough in, uh, even three, four years ago, but now I think it's really key to an effective and productive workplace culture. 
So we know from research that to have an effective organization, an effective team, even in the philanthropic sector, even with your fundraising team, the character of the leader matters and makes a positive difference, especially when that character includes a forgiving nature that encourages people to innovate, to try new ideas. They don't succeed, to call that out and move on to the ones that are successful, but how that's liberating for the team members, including increasing our fundraising ability. Uh, and this is so important, as Josh mentioned, in the changing workplace uh, that we're seeing that is really looking to be more inclusive, have a higher sense of belonging. Well, one way to do that is let people know your ideas are welcome. Uh, and if they don't work, we have a very forgiving approach here and we move on to the ideas that do. Josh Burkholtz is the CEO of BWF and also chair of the board of the Giving Institute, publisher of Giving USA, and co-author with Amy Lampy of Benefactors, why some fundraisers always succeed, and a key reason is they understand their role as leaders. Of course, here at the Fundraising School, we have a certificate in fundraising leadership, and we're part of the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy that has a doctoral degree in philanthropic leadership. So whether you want to join us in our non-credit continuing education or join us for an academic degree, the information is available online at philanthropy.iupui. .edu forward slash the fundraising school, where you'll learn about all of our public courses, our custom training, our quarterly webinars. These podcasts are all archived there. And you'll also learn about our textbook, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition, which came out in 2022. So grateful to our guests today, Josh Burkholz. Our producers are Jennifer Boffman and Mike Anthony. I'm Bill Stanjakevich. And now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.